Hello and welcome to Stages. It's episode 80. I'm Peter Ayers. We return to Perth in this episode where my next guest from the West is one of Australia's leading Aboriginal performing visual and literary artists, Dr Richard Wally. Dr. Richard Wally is an artist of many disciplines, a musician, dancer, painter, writer, Indigenous activist and educator. He has spent over 40 years educating Australia and the world on Noongar culture and identity through the arts. A role model for Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people alike, Richard continues to push boundaries, continually developing personally whilst always focused on the bigger community picture of the arts, culture and environment. In 1978, Richard formed the Midar Aboriginal Theatre, which subsequently has taken Noongar culture to 32 countries, celebrating and affirming Indigenous culture and narrative. A former Australia Council board member, he was named a state living treasure in 2015 for his lifetime contribution to arts and culture in Western Australia. It was a privilege to sit down with Richard as he shared his proud Noongar heritage and the power of arts to transform and teach and extend our humanity. So, Richard, thank you for talking to uh, to Stages. You're a, a Noongar man from uh, South West Western Australia. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Noongar that's got connections to the Wajak, Baladon, Birunjarab, Wardan, and also Yuit and Yamaji. So it's a it's from the grandparents and great grandparents because we go to those generations. So the Noongar got those sections, but also Yamaji is from my grandmother's side. But, uh, it, uh, so that's it's a, a nice do, mix. Do we say that that's a clan group or, or country? We would say nations. Nations, What yeah. you'd probably say in the Noongar case uh, is Noongar nations, and you'd probably uh, describe the, the Wajak, which is from the Perth region, as the state. Then you'd have Birlu, which is probably Perth, as, as the capital of the state. So you got that that connect in that, that, you know, prime locations uh, within each of the regions and, and they are prominent places. Uh, so nationwide there is about 500, I believe, is that right? About 500, yeah. Yeah. And, 500. and would each, each, each nation have their own particular um, cultures and languages and belief? A, a lot of them have got completely separate beliefs, cultures, and um, languages and there are some that are similar that share storylines and song lines of some languages um, uh, but there are other things that are quite generic right across all the groups and that's being one with the land being uh, you know tapping in with the with nature with the, the plants and the animals and how that connects into everyone so those core human elements pretty much the same. Uh, then you have different descriptions of creations and dreaming stories and those sorts of, uh, uh, we call them, I don't like calling them dreaming stories because they actually, they're not necessarily dreams, they are uh, images that, 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 are, that, that, are, that are given to you through inspirational means and through time by, by looking at uh, Know, how nature works in, in in with itself, and deciphering that into storylines. So the the so songlines, storylines, they are your oral histories, your stories. They are the oral histories and the connects. They connect you to who you are, where you are at at that time. The 
that, that you surround and also connects you to your to your neighbours and their surrounds and connects as well. So it, it's like a nice um, piece of tapestry that's interwoven and each each interlink is a story and a connect. Yeah, I've seen that that fabulous map of uh, Australia which divides all the nations up. It's uh, very colourful. Very colourful. Yeah. Um, the challenge with with some of the the lines and it, that's uh, the problem in a in a Western sort of mapping process that uh, some of the lines are blurred and they're shared. So particularly in Yungar country, in Yungar country we we don't have hard fast lines. We have shared lines. Yeah. And having those shared lines and shared borders, that that gives us dual responsibility from two different groups. That brings you stronger together. So that way you don't have the issues that most other countries have. This is my part. That's your part and fighting over borders and fighting yeah. over lines. Yeah. We shared a lot of our uh, our connecting points. And who's responsible for keeping the stories and, and delivering them to the next generation? They're, they would be the elders of... It's intergenerational. The elders would tell stories to the young ones and they'd decipher that stories and pass it on to people who are younger than them. Uh, and then you'd learn more stories as you as you grow older. So your, your knowledge you, that you acquire comes from life's experiences. It, it's, it's your interaction with other people. It's your experiences of nature, whether it's weather patterns or the, the plants and the animal cycles. You learn from these, uh, like most learning systems, if you've been doing it for a long time, you get to understand a pattern. Yep. And once you understand those patterns, it becomes like a code. Uh, and you have that code so that you can read and decipher it and you know what's coming or you know how to prepare for something. And those uh, codes and the, the processes of de deciphering those codes come with a lot of experience and a lot of observation and a lot of, uh, lot of practical application. And tell me about dance uh, in Aboriginal cultures also. I the dancers represent stories as well in the same the, way the dance dance in, in in aboriginal culture and this is most aboriginal culture not all but dance in aboriginal culture is is not a, a lone art form it comes with music it comes with story it, it comes with connect so if you look at the dance you can't have dance without music. You can't have the dance without portraying a story and connecting to an animal, a plant, an event, a person, a place. And that, that connectedness becomes you then um, expressing yourself in a, in, a, in a body movement form that is paying tribute to your surrounds. Great. Yeah. What were your um, art experiences as a child? I suppose you were learning... As a young fellow, I was... <coughs> pardon me. As a young man, I was very blessed. I was brought up with a lot of artists around me, my uncles and aunts and cousins. This, this visual artists, painters or...? All forms of art. All forms, yeah, yeah. So I had uncles who were musicians, dancers, aunties who were dancers, musicians, visual artists, craft people, people who... Who, uh, who wove and people who, who carved. Um, 
So if you look at an, an arts community uh, and, and, you, and you look at where people go to practice the arts in different forms in different parts of the world, you'd find it, 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 it gets a like-minded people coming together and, and practice to enhance their, their skills. Well, we were blessed because we had a lot of the like-minded people within our family and other families that shared stories, shared styles, um, shared some of the, uh, the, the, the hints and secrets that they discover, uh, and that made us stronger as a community. So I was brought up with that sharing of music, sharing of dance, sharing of visual arts, sharing of the crafts, and, and by sharing it, you get to learn different forms and different styles and you can then adapt and interpret yourself and then share that on with, with a, the next generation and, and other people that are, you know, like your, your peers. And that makes it a nice, healthy community because the moment you share something, you're passed it on and you have more room for your own growth. So it doesn't, it's not like a sort of a Western sense where you patent a genre or a style or a form and say, this is mine and I'm the creator of this. We find that we are passengers in a po process of creativity and not designers and instigators. Sounds very comprehensive. Must have been very stimulating as a, as a boy. Oh, extremely stimulating. Yeah. As a young person, you always get inspiration and that inspiration takes you through the rest of your life. So I've never at any stage sat down with um, a mental block or a creative block and thinking what can I write next or what can I do next there's always stories that, that that are coming to you and if you tap into that creative energy pool it takes you on these journeys that you don't know where it's going to finish but you know it's a good journey and you've got an idea of a of a process and 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 you get outcomes and I, I, I believe uh, if if you know the outcome of your project it's not a rewarding one. It's always good to have an idea, but be open for the change and the little surprise. You're thinking, well, I didn't expect that, but gee, I'm glad I put that in, or I'm glad I was open to it, to bring it in. And that gives you that maturity of growth and also trust in yourself and trust in what you're doing. A period of discovery and exploration. To... It, it is discovery and exploration, yeah. but it's not a, it's not a blind discovery or casting many lines out there's a science and an art behind it because you've done it a number of times before but you want to do it a little differently and and be open to what's new that's coming in what about when you went to school and you were meeting western forms of music and perhaps drama did you do drama at school or anything like that not so much drama but it was interesting to be introduced to a choir oh yeah yeah um and being in a choir is a bit of a challenge because it was mostly the, it was a church choir, and you'd be singing these songs that have a different rhythm and a pattern to what you normally sing in a cultural context, and it's completely different to what we used to hear on the radio. So all of a sudden, there's this another form of music that comes in. Um, and I found that that was a fantastic challenge because I love new challenges. As a young person during my school times, 
uh, our family, like most other families around Australia, had the little little radio. Um, little transistor. Little, little transistor yeah. radio. You'd, you'd listen to your, your, your radio and, and they had, in, in our case, there were three types of music that I would listen to all the time and, and that one was sort of the country western music which was on and they had a program called Country Hour yeah. and that would be all that classical country western. So we were brought up with those Slim Dusty. Slim Dusties and yeah. Joy Jones' American Country and, you know, the Hank Williams and, uh, and the, you know, the Dolly Partons. And so those sorts of music was very influential. The other one was the, the rock and roll. So we had the Beatles and uh, the Rolling Stones and the Paul Ankers and Bobby Darrens and, uh, you know, the Sandra Dees and um, all those sorts of uh, Patsy Clines and wonderful types of rock and blend between rock and country. And the third type of music I was brought up with was the classics, and, and listen to the classics on, you know, so listening to the, particularly the, the Strausses, I loved the Strauss waltzes, I used to love the fluidness of Strauss. Yeah. And, um, so that influenced me again for the rest of my life, as well as listening to traditional songs and, and in, in that form. Um, it was quite healthy to, to have that. And then there was a different dance form. So we had the, the music coming through that choirs, classical, country, rock. And dance forms was quite interesting because we'd do our traditional dance. We'd do the, you know, the imitations of emus, the kangaroos, the, the celebration dance, the fluid movement dances that we had at the times. But we also learned how to do the waltzes. So as a young fellow, I would learn the barn dance, the Boston, um, you know, Boston two-step and the, the, the evening foxtrot and, and uh, all of those <laughs> types of uh, those classical waltzes. Um, uh, of course, the hokey pokey and those sorts of things are fun dances mm. as well. So that that was also a quite um, a healthy upbringing in a uh, collaboration or going from one world to another from the from the, the ballroom dances to the traditional dances. Then you had the the old stomps and rock and roll uh, that, that would bring in, which is sort of freestyle dancing as well. Uh, so that, that was also a nice nice time because we had the blend of all of those. And there, There's an old saying, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too, but if you can bake cakes, <laughs> you can have as many cakes as you like. Absolutely. Eat that one and just create another one. Yeah. Um, and my my you know, aunts and uncles always influenced me, because uh, the mother and father will always tell you what to do, but you'd always find that your influences come from you expect from them a sort of discipline and and, and, and direction, but when you get outside of that mother father circle, and that includes the close uncles and aunts, you get the ones that are. Uh, on the, on the fringe, they influence you a bit more by going, try this and try that. And uh, I, I was blessed with that. So to try this type of dance, try this type of song. Um, and I, I believe that that would be, become very rewarding. So it, it you want to be open to experiences, don't you? To you, that you eventually could, inform your work. If you're open to experiences, it's the rewards are are, are tremendous. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, I've worked with very highly disciplined musicians and they have structures and the discipline that comes with it, which I admire at times. So they would bring out the sheets and they'd follow those sheets and this is how you'd play. Um, and that's a wonderful thing. And then I've also worked with people who are very fluid and say, we don't know where it's going, but we're going to start here and somewhere down the track it's going to finish. But this is our pattern that we're going to go. So that, that was very good for me to, to be involved with because what that actually allowed me to do, it allowed me to then to be as versatile enough to follow my music, whether it's a dance or a song, to all different types of rhythms. So I can play with the, you know, the Indian sitar and the Indian drummers and I can play with African drummers with different rhythms and beats. Then I could play with the, with the classical orchestras. And if you've got that freedom to be able to do that, it, it's quite rewarding. Mm. So I was never daunted by walking up onto the stage or walking into a rehearsal room with a classical musical group, highly disciplined, saying, this is how we're going to do it. And we're talking about the groups like the Berlin Philharmonic. Uh, yeah, East Berlin yeah. Wind Quartet of the East Berlin Philharmonic and, and these groups and highly disciplined, fantastic musicians, but the, the, the trust that they had that I could not read music. I had my ears tuned to when I was going to come in, to what sort of pattern I would come in and when I'd go out. So that feeling of your way through was fantastic. And by feeling it, of course, it changed every time you do it. Um, and that was a challenge to classical musicians because they try, try to do the same thing every time. Yes. You never do, but you try to. No. Um, and, and to work with someone who's fluid and saying, hang on, I just got, you did this this time, but you didn't do it the next time, it throws them a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, you build that trust with them that it's not going to sound the same, but it's going to be good. Mm. And it's going to fit in, it's not going to disrespect what you're doing in any way, shape or form. And that trust amongst musicians is fantastic. So by the time I played, went on stage, the, the musicians had an idea where we were going to start. They knew where they're going, but they had no idea where I was going. So they allowed me to go on my journey. And, and it allows that sound to be more organic, I guess, too, doesn't it? More, more authentic. It is organic. And it, is, it, it is everything is authentic. Even yeah. your practice is authentic. So, but it's, it, it is organic. But it's organic within a, a framework as well. Yes. Because yeah, yeah. you have to, if you're going out, you've got to come back and, and go within the patterns and the timings and the, and the rhythms that they're playing. And... I found that to be a good thing because that's also like a safety net for you. Yeah. Um, and you know that on this particular count, this oboe is going to come in or the French horn's going to make a sound and you're, gonna, you're, you're, you're keyed up for that because that's a, a nice trigger point for you. And those trigger points then take you on another little journey where you're going, I'm going on this journey till another instrument brings you back again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's wonderful because it's yeah, tremendous, tremendous it, freedom. It is freedom, yeah. Now, we're talking about the didgeridoo, of course. We are talking about didgeridoo now, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how old were you when you learnt the, the didgeridoo? I was in my early 20s. Yeah. 
very early 20s. Do you have to be a certain age before you can... Not really, yeah. but um, it wasn't apart from our, our country. We were never brought up with didgeridoos. We were brought up with boomerangs and sticks right. and, and just song. We sang a lot of songs. But as a young man, I come across a very fine didgeridoo player, one of the old masters, and uh, he pointed at the didgeridoo and he asked and told me at the same time, you play that one. I picked it up. I blew and played it straight away. And I was playing, I was doing the cycle breathing. So that came very naturally? It came you? naturally, I, I just did it. Um, I didn't That's when you're breathing it. through the nose and out through the mouth? Yes. Constantly? Constantly. Yeah. So I did it automatically. Um, I was gifted, blessed with that. Yeah. Simply because I was naive and didn't know what you're supposed to do. And as the first time uh, I saw it as, a, as an instrument, and he told me, you, you play that one, blah, blah, blah. He, he was playing it before I played So I get it and I just did it. Is there a scale of notes within the, the drone? There, there is a scale, or? there is a scale. You can go, it's, it doesn't move too far, but there's a you know, small scale. The, you can manipulate the pitches. Yeah, you can yeah. do that. Yeah. It, it gives, you, um, gives you a little bit of freedom, but it doesn't, there's no you know, dramatic changes that you can change. Um, uh, but, but it's a wonderful instrument simply because you can hold a note and then you can and just let do it a reverberate and let it reverberate yeah, yeah. and by holding a note it, it can play with any type of music uh, it's one of the rare instruments now I have to say it's one of the rare instruments that you can play three of them in different keys and they'll sound good Wow! because you can get into a note and a rhythm and you can hear the difference between and, and that those sorts of different keys will drive well-trained musicians nuts <laughs> you think hang on you're an F and I'm playing in C yeah well I've only got an F dig <laughs> well I better come and play F as well well that's your choice and if with the classic musicians that I played particularly the German um, uh, musicians, the keys that I had with the DJs didn't match their instruments, but they were marvellous in the generosity of, of of playing with it and, and, and allowing me that freedom of saying, you're not in the same key as us, you're sometimes not in the same rhythm as us, but we're in the same space yeah. Yeah. and we're sharing this space. And I think that was beautiful. That that was yeah. sharing space with people is the most important part. If you get into this nice groove where everyone is hitting it off in the right rhythms and the keys and it's it, it as they say cooking, yeah. that's beautiful as well. Yeah. But you also gotta be able to be generous enough to share space where this one's a bit out of note, but we're gonna take it along as well. And, and I think that's that's a, that's our next challenge is to is to not be too prescriptive. Is to allow for that freedom to say, okay, we've got this wonderful music that's flowing now, and all of a sudden someone's playing a Claxton. Yeah. Hang on, it doesn't fit in. Well, well, it may do. <laughs> Let's have the Claxton go a couple of times, and yeah. it'll break and shake things up. Then you can get back into the rhythm. How is the didge made? Is it a particular type of wood that's necessary? It, it, the didgeridoo is made 
by nature. It's mostly the gum trees that are in harsher conditions that have got a soft sap in the middle. And the termites eat their way through that softer centre. And because the conditions are hot, they'll, go, they'll eat a certain way, then they go back underground. Um, and so it's all made natural. But my, my digits that I've got, uh, particularly the ones, my favourites that I've made, just cut them, bang the termites out, blow it in. Great. Tell me about Welcome to Country, because that's, I believe in 1976, you were one of the, one of the first men to um, create that tradition, that custom. Well, creating... Or not creating, sorry, but to bring it into the mainstream. Yeah, probably exactly. Yeah. In 1976, we sort of introduced and, and, and brought an ancient custom back to the fore. And I think that 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 was a um, a gesture by the people who who requested the welcome as a great sign of respect of who they were, where they were, and whose country they were on. And if you know who you are and you connect to a place, and you have a strong connection to that place you'll understand the feeling of someone else coming into that space. And if you welcome people into that space, and that welcome is not coming from, this is my country. The welcomes come from, this is my connect. This is my family. This is my connection to plant, to animal, to place. It's not only my connection, it's a connection that's handed to me by mothers and fathers and their mothers and fathers, which goes back for 2,000 generations. So when you do welcome the country, you open up the portals to that spirituality, that ancestry that recognises you, recognises your language as connected to who they are, and that language that's been there for a long time, that language place and the purpose of a welcome is to bring that, that guiding energy around for people. So there's only two reasons you go to someone else's country where we say that it's very basic, for good or for bad. Right, okay. And when you do a welcome country, you'll, you'll, you start up, you know, mum and you're not may the good spirit watch over you. Now, the good spirit watching over you is, is a twofold thing. One, if you're doing the right thing, you're doing it. If you're not doing the right thing, you're in karma trouble. will actually catch up with you. Yeah. Uh, and in our culture, we're firm believers in karma and we've lived long enough to see things go around in cycles that people who do things that are not necessarily the right thing, it always comes back and you cop it twice as bad as, as you should have. Yeah. Um, and that's not putting curses on people in no, no. you, you You do your own, your own deeds and uh, you know, what comes of that is, is your own outcomes. So it's, Welcome to Country Now is, is certainly a very part of uh, all major events, etc., which is, is very pleasing. It's, it's a very different thing, though, to acknowledgement of country, isn't it? Very much so. Um, the old Welcome to Countries, which have been going for thousands of years, is, is, is welcome people into a balance, because every person had a place and a balance within within the country and the community. You had a balance. 
you had to connect to a totem, you had to connect to a family, connect to a place. And when you're doing a welcome, you're bringing people into that connect and saying, I have a responsibility looking after this plant. I'm handing over a shared responsibility to you to also look after this plant. So you welcome people into a space of plant animal place with shared responsibilities. So that that is a gesture of respect, inclusive of all life form. And unfortunately, people do not have as much respect as they should have for where they are, the animals and the plants within those areas as well. And we, we have a, an obligation as a, as a people and as custodians to make people aware that every life and plant on this planet has a right to be here. Mm. It's earned its right to be here because it's been here and evolving for thousands of years. And welcome to countries brings those stories to life. So when people are taking it now, whether wherever you are in Australia, when you're paying tribute to a welcome to country, you're not only talking and, and being accepted by the people, you're being accepted by the whole ecology of where you are. Wow. Yes, we all need to observe that a lot more, I think. I believe so, and if you explain it in that that terms, people get it. It's not it's not yeah. a, it's not a oh this is spirituality and about it. No, this no. is about common we're, we're all here together. Yeah. of us on this one place, sharing responsibilities. Us doesn't mean just people. Us means plant animals, place, and to have that balance. That's our challenge. And I firmly believe places like the arts bring a lot of that balance to the to the fore, um, and that you know that's a challenge for the future as well. Mida is the Noongar word for dance, and it's also a dance troupe that you started. Can you tell me a bit about the evolution of of that group? Yeah, Mida. Mida was was a, um, it, it's, there's no simple terms to describe Midar because it was a family, it was a, it was a company, it was a movement. Um, Could you, you, it, you performed all around the world with it, didn't you? Yeah, we're around the world. We, we at, 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 our, at our peak employed 40 people oh, wow. at one stage and um, we had two permanent groups touring, one, one around the state and, a, and the other one around the world. Um, uh, and the demand for cultural connect at that time, and still today, is, is, is a big demand, a huge demand for authenticity. And if you got authenticity wrapped up with an artistic presentation it's a wonderful asset to have so Midar then was delved back into the roots of who we were while there's a lot of young people at that stage in our age that were forming rock and roll bands forming country western bands 
Uh, and we love the same. We, we, we're brought up with it. We're playing our guitars and, uh, as well. But you were celebrating Aboriginal culture, weren't you? Yeah, but we, the, the strong pull was back to our roots and who we were about being Aboriginal people, Noongar people, people that, that are connected to place and we pay tribute to our plants and our animals through our dance. Um, so Midar then did that. It, it, it paid tribute to the, uh, to the animals, uh, to the plants, to the place. And people who watched it at that early stage can relate to it. They go, oh, okay, this is, it might be an Aboriginal thing, but we understand this is also environmental. This is uh, about the welfare of, of, of animals. And I believe that it, it caught on simply because we reminded people of what we're doing now. Uh, everyone at some stage in their their their, their history, two thousand, ten thousand years ago, were doing the same things. Yeah. So that connect and a connection to what people are doing is very important. If we're doing something that no one connect to and is isolated, it'd be a fad, and the fad would come and it'll go. But culture is not a fad. No. It's strong. It's got that spiritual essence, and we've seen you know, the, the Bay City Rollers, the, you know, Spice Girls, and Beatles came and went. Rolling Stones refused to go. <laughs> um, but you find fads may come and go. Whether it's a yo-yo that's been in and it's gone, the frisbees popular. Uh, and they're wonderful for the time because they create a culture. Popular culture. It's a very popular culture yeah. at that time. And popular culture has its place. But the strength of, of, and the core of any culture should be the spirit of its existence. And that's how we found it, the spirit of our existence was very very strong and it was stronger than any of the cultures that and the cults that were coming through and that was very important so what was the repertoire of midar were you creating original performances or was this all your traditional stories when midar first started we were doing the original presentations then um like most things that we speak we're speaking about now we allowed ourselves to evolve so we did experimental pieces, we did new story pieces, we did contemporary story pieces. And those sorts of dance narratives came from the same essence. We're telling a story about what affects us, what influences us. Uh, and I, I believe that if you're open to interpretation, you'd never again run out of inspiration. So to this day, we still dance under Mida. Uh, my, my children dance under Midah. And this is one of the, the very first groups doing that kind of work? I, I mean, this is before Ilbajeri and Yeriakan and Sydney Dan um, Bangara? Yeah, we, yeah, we were doing it you know, way back in the, in the 70s. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, that, that, was a, uh, that was a different, different era simply because there were a lot of dancers doing it I and mean, no one stopped dancing. We, 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 we did some wonderful collaborations with our, you know, our, our 
our neighbours, with the, with the, from the Kimberleys and the Pilbaras who, who were doing dancing, and particularly the Kimberleys, we had a lot, lot of uh, interaction with it. And that dance, their dance never stopped. Uh, ours never as well. People believe that the Nyunga dancing was dormant for a number of years, and there was, we, we continually hear these statements. The last crobbery, the last crobbery took place here. We remember the last crobbery. The last crobbery's still going. Yeah, yeah. There's no such thing as the last crobbery or the last mirror. Because we have this wonderful photo as, as a young man. I've got a photo in a football team with two older gentlemen. And those older gentlemen, Uncle Arthur Prosser and Les, Uncle Les Hill and Uncle Ned Mippy, there's a photo of them as 18-year-olds painted up and dancing in Bustleton. So that connect of dancing hasn't stopped for it, for, not even for one generation. It continued on and we brought it out and expanded that. Um, so we were very blessed to be on that end of the chain to pick the chain up and take it to another level. Yeah, yeah. So it's not finished. We can see the link's not broken. We're going to take it and, 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 and show the beauty of it, which became very popular. So there's only four of us that started off in the dance and five joined straight after that and we got to our six within a small time so from the the, the group of six then that that expanded yeah. um uh, and i found that midar was it was it was designed for us by our by our elders to take forward uh, and in, in, in life, there's two things that have always happens. And that thing is, there's an opportunity that was always presented to you. So when an opportunity is presented to you, this is where the two things in life come in. You either ignore and don't do anything about it, or you accept the challenge and you activate. So if you execute, activate, and it's a new way of doing things or it's done by a very small number of people, you're going to come up against critics, commentaries, people are saying culture's dead, what are you doing? You, know, you shouldn't be wearing nappies at your age. Get all the comments. All right. People Ignorance. saying you should move forward. Uh, and that came from all sectors, from... The, the, the you know the white sectors the Nyunga sectors other Aboriginal sectors but we firmly believe that the the power and the strength of culture um, is a wonderful thing that gets you over any hurdles um, and you you have to you have to be humble and and also very forgiving if you're starting a movement of anything. Because if it's a movement that hasn't been done in that form before, people are going to question it and say, what are you doing? Until the penny drops. So anyone in a creative area will know that loneliness of being in a creative space until other people get on and know what the concept's about and go, ah, we can see now. And they take that process and they can enhance it and you always find 
you always find that the people who created something were not necessarily known as the best exponents of it or not necessarily known as the creators of it because all the recreators that come back will take their slants and do their different forms on it yeah. take ownership into it and you know that's the story of copyright around the world I understand also if you wanted to tell a story you have to seek permission to you to there, there was a process of telling stories if you're going to tell a story like an intellectual copyright it was intellectual there, there was yeah. knowledge and, and, and intellectual knowledge um, so we talked to elders who were very strong in those stories or those areas and, and get their permission and we were guided by elders at, at that stage so that that process of us at Midar being guided by elders is the same process of those elders who are guiding us, guided by their elders, who was guided by their elders. Yeah. So that process never stops. The story goes on. It goes on. Yeah. What about international audiences? How did they receive this culture? International audiences were, they ranged from the curious and they were the ones who, like, um, who knew a little bit about culture, like archaeologists, anthropologists, people who are studying ancient cultures and they see, see us as an ancient culture. So they, they saw us as living test tubes, I suppose. They were, we were portraying and they were explaining what we were doing to a larger audience. And then you had the others that are curious to say, we don't know where they're from, but gee, that's, that's pretty good. We like that because we can hear the rhythms and we can see the movements. Um, and I guess that they were lining up, you know, their knowledge of other indigenous cultures also from around the world. It, it was a, it it was was a adding challenge. Adding to that knowledge. It was a challenge of separating us from other cultures. Um, but the beauty of it is, is we had a lot of similarities with other ancient cultures, which is fantastic. So when we, when we perform with, um, you know, Native Canadians and Native Americans, it was absolutely fantastic because we're on the same plane. About, we come from this earth. And there's spirituality, and we connect to the plants and the animals. So when we do our kangaroo dance, they're doing a buffalo dance, and it's very grounded to the earth. It's all grounded. It? Yeah, 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 and we're all connected through stories. If we go to Africa and we dance with the Maasai, they're dancing about animals and place and spirituality. We connect in because we're dancing about animals, place, spirituality. So that interconnectedness by the nations that were well known, given a synergy to what we were doing, was, was, was fantastic. The international audience I, I found were, um, were fantastic because they, they were more open to what we were doing. And I, I believe we toured for 30 years on the international circuit before we got a local gig in a festival here. Really? Yeah. That says a lot, doesn't it? Yes. It's, it's, it's the old saying, though. You, you tell me any rock and roll band that's made it here without going overseas and making oh. it and then coming back. Yes. It's true. So it's, You've got a point. It's, it's Australia. Is, Australia doesn't appreciate what they've got until other people appreciate and say, guess how good... This is, guess how good they are. Then if you get too big, the tall poppy syndrome comes out. And yeah. They try to knock you down They again. try to knock you down, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But you also got some good support and good people out there. So yeah. 
we always found that those who are knocking you down in the minority, and if you can silence them, yep. and the best way to silence those who are knocking you is say, well, what have you done? Yeah. Show us. But 99% of have done nothing. They've just got a comment. They just like to whinge. Those who have done it won't knock you. They'll may give you a hint and say, well, here's something we can do. Yeah. Those who have done it well will help you to the next stage because they're not threatened by anything. Yeah. They're also open to sharing and open to learning. Richard, you've exhibited some artwork as well. What does painting offer you as a storyteller? Painting gives me that that's inner self-exploration where you're, you've got a blank canvas and you want to start by doing something that's telling you a, or telling a story about you or you want to share a story. Same process. You've got a, an idea where this is going, but you've got no idea how it's going to finish. Um, and whether you're an Aboriginal artist, people like myself, you know, every artist will look at their end result and go, I can still do something here. I can refine this. Every artist can walk away from works that they've gotten been sold and come back 10 years later and think, hang on, I'd like to have that back again because I can redefine this. It's like listening to our own songs and our own musics that, that you've done before and you've moved forward. So the artwork's like that. If you allow yourself to evolve with the paintings, then that gives you also the, 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 the patience of sitting down and saying, I'm going to take my time with this and I'm going to do pieces in, I'm going to walk away from it, I'm going to come back and keep building on it. That gives you that, that blessing of this is not complete till I say it's complete and I'm working on it and I'm clearing the decks of any, any thoughts and ideas now and I'm going to come back and with, it, with a different view and see if I can answer to it. So that, that art, that painting... Um, it, it gives you that the satisfaction of completing a piece having a look and say I've done that yeah. singing a song is wonderful you're going to record it but once you've sung it it's gone yeah. and if you recorded it that's wonderful because you, you can listen to that and it's done over so but once you've done that recording uh, that sort of set and people have heard it same with your display of painting people have seen it you say well I can't you know I can't change that now so um, so you accept that and you leave it then you move forward with the next one so from that I've learned how to go and to do something else so, uh, being a young fellow I was very blessed with multi-form and multi-style artists we weren't told that you're a musician or you're a dancer or you're a painter or you're a poet. So I've written about 90 poems. I've, um, I've written six plays. We perform those on, on stage. Um, you know, been in the arts, having an art exhibition, playing music, singing, dancing. People will say, well, how come you get time to do all that? Where do you get 
you know, the inspiration or people say the talent. Everyone's got talent. It's what you work on it and, and it's what you bring to the fore. The first thing you've got to understand about your talent is that don't compare yourself to someone else. So if you're going to start singing and you're going to be compared to Tina Turner or Elvis Presley, you're on a hiding to nowhere. Yeah, you don't want that. You're going to be There's already yourself. one of them, yeah. Or a Slim Dusty or a Paul Kelly. You know, you've got these icons and, 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 and these, these people sing beautifully. And I, I used to love, you know, people like the Judas Durham's and the Seekers and those sorts of... They created their brand. And people who try to recreate and sound like them, it's very difficult. So you've got to try to create your own genre. Um, so in the arts, if you, you're willing to say, I am willing to play this music with my style, you'll find you go a long way. I'm willing to paint this painting with my style, you go a long way. You can be influenced by, I'm willing to tell this poem, poem in this form, and I'm influenced by. That's, I think, is, is the richness of people to challenge yourself, to tap into your holistic you, because everyone can sing, everyone can dance, everyone can paint, everyone can play an instrument. You just got to put time into it and find that time to hone whatever that skill you want to do is to a level where you're happy with it. Then you're not compared to the greats of the world. The arts in Australia are undergoing a bit of a, a funding crisis at the moment. Um, and I imagine at the best of times, it's, it's pretty tough for Indigenous artists to, to get the funding that they need. Do, do we support Indigenous artists as much as we should? A uh, couple of answers. A lot of the old Indigenous artists and, uh, around, the, around the world did stuff without support. They, they, they were creative in their music, song, dance, paintings. Um, it was when it started to become more commercially um, in, in, in demand that it changed a little bit. And I found that the forms have changed a little bit as well. If you listen to the older musicians and how they recorded in the old style, you'll find there's many of offbeats, different timings. You'd have a four, four, five, four, four, three, four, four. Whereas now, a lot of the musicians will will follow a pattern and a click track to stay in time. Yep. So that freedom of being organic is very important. So if you want to be organic, that's, a, that's one side. If you're going to be what they call professional and professional development, that's another form. And I firmly believe that the, the funds going into professional development is really challenging because there's not enough for professional development and we need more professional people in that area but the other the other side of the coin to go in and buy yourself a yeah a 20 dollar canvas and do your own painting you don't need funding for that no uh, if you're going to sing a song um you don't need funding for that so that i think is the is if you're going to re rely on 
funds and, and, and the commercial side of things to maintain creativity and culture, you're in trouble. But if you want to enhance it and, and compete on a level that you know other parts of the world are competing on, there's got to be an investment in, in, into, into the arts. Can I just, I, in my research, I found a quote of yours and you say that um, Jack Davis, who was, mm. a, he was a Nyungar man, wasn't he? Yep. One of our great mm. playwrights, believed that 30 years ago, that in 10 years we'd be running our own theatres. 30 years later, we're still waiting. The reason we haven't achieved it, I firmly believe that Australians now are starting to realise that they're holding a lot of our iconic images, our iconic brand to the world back. And the iconic brand is Indigenous Australia. And we've got to embrace that. Australians have to embrace it and say that Aboriginal stories and Aboriginal culture are our stories. That's right. Yeah. They are our stories because it's about place. Yeah. Australians say, I'm Australia. Well, what's Australia? Australia's a location. Mm. Australia's a... What's an Australian tree? What's an Australian animal? So when you look at that, if you're going to put up a... Uh, you know, a, a, an image of a place, you go to a strength and not its recreations. And a strength is Aboriginal culture because it's, it's, it's the world-class culture that we have in this country. And try as we may, we're not going to compete with the ballets of the world yeah, yeah. or the orchestras of the world. Yeah. And in the, the, the popular area, we've got some wonderful musicians who have reinvented themselves and taken the world on but that is they could be anywhere it's not necessarily Australian so we can the songs of ACDC could be anywhere in the world mm. so they're accepted worldwide uh, you got you know the, the seekers iconically Australian but those songs uh, are anywhere in the world mm. and but they got a brand Australian which is fantastic so we, we embrace their successes, and you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of whether it's ACDC, The Seekers, or uh, you know, modern modern Australian music, Eskimo Joes, and uh, and these bands. I think they're absolutely fantastic, uh, and they have an Australia they have Australia uh, as their home. But when you're looking about iconic Australian culture, the uniqueness of uniqueness it. of Australian culture. I firmly believe there's two parts to it. One is Aboriginal, and two is Aboriginal fusion. So that influence, like the Bangaras taken the the classic ballet type dances and, and infused with cultural Most. connect, like Yatha Yindi did with the the, the the traditional music music, music instruments and the, and and the conventional music instrument. That collaboration. Is absolutely fantastic. That then gives you a, a, a something that is uniquely Australian. So that purest of Aboriginal and the infusion with the Aboriginal non-Aboriginal sector, I, I firmly is, is is the way that you know we can express to the world we've got something that's unique here. Not only is unique, it's quality. It's been a, a very diverse life, Richard. Many achievements and much contribution of education and awareness of Aboriginal culture. Um, it's been an absolute delight to, to uh, hear you talk today. Um, so thank you very much. Oh, thank you. And, and, you know, we're, we're each and every one of us are products 
of our influence. And I've had many people influence me from my direct, you know, mothers and fathers, Aboriginal people, non-Aboriginal people, wonderful people that, that gave me writing hints like, you know, the Jack Davises, but more, more, more so the people like the Thomas Keneally's. I think Thomas was very generous with his, his style of writing and his storytelling form. So spending time with Thomas was marvellous for me. Uh, and, and I can talk about many Australian people like that. The appreciation of the arts with people like Betty Churcher was, was marvellous. Um, I can go on and name many iconic Australian uh, well-known arts figures that have influenced me. Because it goes back to where we started this conversation. I was open to learning, to take on new ideas, uh, as well as share what I've learned over the years. So if I leave a message to people um, uh, anywhere, it's have that generosity of accepting that every person that you come across can contribute and influence you and you can influence them. And I think that's, that's a very important thing. Season two of Stages continues to offer insightful conversations with our finest creatives. My guests offer valuable reflection on their career, their process and all that matters to them. I trust that you gain much from hearing the great insight to arts and culture shared by Richard Wally. In the next episode of Stages, we learn about the establishment and development of actor training institutions in Australia, in particular the evolution of the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts, as told by one of its founding teachers, Mr Nigel Rideout. It is an enthralling journey and one that I'm thrilled we were able to record. That's the next episode of Stages, where my guest is Nigel Rideout. As always, I'm Peter Ayers, and thanks for listening to Stages. Stages.